I had a spot that had come up on my chest. It was very itchy, so um, I went to the doctor and um, he sent me to the specialist because it had changed colour, just sort of brown going into black. They did. They operated and took out like the little the little mole. I was extremely worried. At first, I wasn't because I knew nothing of melanoma. I'd never heard of it. Didn't know anyone who'd had a melanoma. I had gone back to work. There happened to be a lady at work who had lost her son, and she said to she she came up to me and said, "Oh, I believe you've got a melanoma," and and I said, "Yeah, you know." And she spoke to me and said that, um, oh, that's my son passed away and he have, his all started with a melanoma. Then it went to his brain and whatnot and then he passed away. Got on to Mrs. Snook. They followed the diet to a tea uh, for six months solid, which consisted of basically no, there was no hot food or there was no water involved. It was all fresh fruit juices. And then after about six months, I lost I lost quite a bit of weight. I, my skin looked absolutely beautiful, glowing. I swear by the diet, I do believe that that was what got me through because to my understanding, I was the only one, you know, that I knew and that the people that I'd spoken to, I was the only one that had survived. You've just heard from Dale Highway, who in 1985 became a client of the prominent Australian naturopath Dorothea Snook. Dale is a strong advocate of Mrs Snook's raw food gut cleanse diet, which also served as a template for Mrs Snook's controversial cancer diet. Mrs Snook believed the first step to fighting disease and maintaining good health was to rid the gut of all undigested and toxic material and strengthen the body's immune system through eating the right foods. Hi, I'm Greta Pools, and for over 30 years I've worked as a science writer for some of Australia's leading science and research organisations, covering in the course of my career the fields of general practice, food, nutrition, genomics and plant and animal agriculture. And this is Raw, the story of controversial naturopath Dorothea Snook and her raw food diet that linked four generations of women over three centuries and two continents. It's a story of a young mother from the isolated wheat belt farming district of Western Australia who developed an international reputation for success in treating cancer patients on her raw food diet and the battles she faced from government and medical authorities. Over the next six episodes, you will hear how Mrs Snook rose to the top of her profession. She is credited by a number of former clients for saving their lives and was nationally profiled for the miraculous recovery of her daughter Barbara from a long-term coma. Despite her many passionate advocates, Mrs Snook's 12-week, largely raw food, alkaline diet remains controversial, but her belief in the health benefits of a whole food, plant-based way of eating is now, some 70 years after Mrs Snook first discovered this type of diet, largely supported by science. Throughout the series, we will hear from health experts and from Mrs Snook's family and former clients as I tell the story of how, in 1990, at the age of 76, 
Dorothea Snook found herself facing criminal charges over the death of her elderly brother, Stanley Greenham. I'm here at Fremantle Cemetery in Perth, Western Australia, the final resting place of Dorothy Elsa Eva Snook. She was born in 1914 and died in 2008, aged 93, and is buried right here alongside her father, Albert Greenham, and her mother, Emily, whose mother, Jane Cook, was said to be a descendant of the famous British sea explorer, Captain James Cook. As I stand at Mrs Snook's grave, which is freshly tended with white roses, it strikes me how, in the end, our lives come down to nothing but numbers, the numbers recorded on our birth and death certificates. But those numbers do not give any indication of the lives we led or the footprint we leave behind. And in the case of Dorothy Snook, known to her family as Dolly and to the world as Dorothea, this footprint was substantial. She was the mother of seven children and a grandmother of 15. She wrote three books and is ranked alongside the eminent animal rights activist and philosopher Professor Peter Singer and the Nobel Prize winner J.M. Coetzee in the history of veganism and vegetarianism in Australia. Her work as a naturopath in Perth during the 1960s and 70s was said to have helped thousands of people, with some publicly testifying that her raw food gut cleanse diet had saved their lives. In 1990, Isabel Weir, who worked at the West Australian Cancer Council during the 1970s and 80s, told the West Australian newspaper that there were people who had been, as she describes it, given up by doctors who Mrs Snook managed to keep alive, calling it almost a miracle. In 1985, as Dale Highway embarked on Mrs Snook's diet in her fight against melanoma, Bunbury real estate agent George Rowe was telling the media how Mrs Snook's diet had cured him of liver and lung cancer. Here he was, he told the journalist, alive and healthy, six years after the doctors predicted he would be dead. In 1979, high-profile Australian journalist Terry Willisey featured Mrs Snook on his popular Perth Current Affairs television show with the aim of following up on the outcomes of several of her clients who claimed Mrs Snook had cured them from cancer and other illnesses. Mrs Snook was invited to speak on the success of her raw food diets for cancer sufferers at the 1975 Cancer Convention in America. She was a friend and colleague of Anne Wigmore, who co-founded the Hippocrates Health Institute and is credited with popularising wheatgrass in America. Yet despite the many testimonials and her international reputation, when Mrs Snook was laid to rest here in this cemetery, her reputation was in ruins. The health benefits of eating a whole food, plant-based diet is very familiar to us today. This type of diet contains little or no processed foods and consists mostly of foods derived from plants, including vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, legumes and fruits, and with fewer animal products, that is, meat and dairy-based foods. The Mediterranean diet, possibly the world's most scientifically endorsed diet, fits into this category. While there is significant evidence supporting this type of eating as optimal for health, experts disagree on whether meat and dairy foods should be consumed at all, such as in the vegan diet, 
a diet which also has significant scientific endorsement, and also on other things like whether oils, including olive oil and coconut oil, are healthy, or whether diets high or low in fats and carbohydrates are best for health. Let me say from the outset that I am not here to tell you what type of diet you should be eating. For starters, my qualifications are in journalism, not nutrition. And as I hope to convey in future episodes, each one of us is different in our genetics, lifestyle and in the population of microbes that line our gut intestinal tract and colonise our large colon. Mrs Snook would not have agreed with me on this, but her diet will not suit everyone. Yet there is much we can learn from Mrs Snook and the early naturopaths, centuries of knowledge about diet and health that in Western cultures many of us are only now rediscovering. The concept that disease begins in the gut caused by eating the wrong types of food is not new. The Greek physician Hippocrates, who lived four centuries before Christ and is often referred to as the father of modern medicine, is famous for his quote, Let food be thy medicine, and medicine thy food. But for most of the 20th century, the public has placed their faith in surgery and drugs to treat the symptoms of disease, rather than the naturopathic approach of nutrition and lifestyle to prevent, and in some cases even reverse disease. The idea that a balanced whole food plant-based diet with minimal or no processed foods can help arrest or even reverse some cancers remains controversial, although there is increasing scientific support that this is indeed the case, depending on the cancer, the patient and how far the disease has advanced. And while debate still rages about the value of animal products in the diet, there is much more support nowadays for Mrs Snook's views on meat which she considered to be an inferior protein. She barely tolerated consumption of some white meat, but drew the line at all red meat and processed meats. And there is also considerably more support for her views on dairy foods, which she regarded as dirty, filthy foods. However, back in 1939, when Mrs Snook's Columbia University-educated mentor, Dr Alice Caporn, whose books are still held at Harvard University Library, gave a series of public lectures in Perth titled Dairy is Not a Good Food, she was threatened with violence and publicly branded impertinent and a nutcase. However, in 2013, when I rediscovered Mrs Snook's diet, things were changing, although not yet in my world. For me, the introduction into nutrition and a holistic concept of health began quite late in life. In 2013, I turned 50, like everyone said I would, 50 was one of those milestone birthdays where you realise you have lived over half your life and there are more days behind you than in front of you. You begin to notice health issues, a bad back or, in my case, an arthritic-like knee complaint that made it agonising to sit for long periods or to walk any significant distance. And technically, according to the Body Mass Index, or BMI, I was smack on the borderline between overweight and obese. However, I did not care about the BMI table and I certainly did not consider myself obese. In fact, I found talk about weight and diet tedious. It felt something like a badge of honour to eat exactly what I liked, which included lots of processed foods and fried foods, red meat and dairy, cakes and sweets, and very little in the way of salads or vegetables. I ate what is described as the SAD diet, or the standard American diet, 
which Wikipedia describes as rich in red meat, dairy products, processed and artificially sweetened foods, and salt with minimal intake of fruit, vegetables, fish, legumes and whole grains. And things might have continued on like this, but for a school reunion coming up with a group of former friends who were now, in 2013, all turning 50. I was not planning a dietary overhaul. I just wanted to lose a few kilos for the reunion. So I went looking for crash diets, like the seven-day soup diet, and in the process uncovered a long-forgotten envelope my mother had mailed to me decades ago. Inside was a copy of Mrs Snook's Gut Cleanse Diet. I first heard of Dorothea Snook in April 1980 when I was 16 years old and my mother Betty went on her raw food gut cleanse diet. My mother did not have cancer, but she did complain of arthritis and was generally feeling run down. A friend suggested she go and see Mrs Snook. Although Betty had worked as a nurse in hospitals before she married, she was suspicious of the medical system and open to natural therapies and herbal potions. Over the next three months, while following Mrs Snook's diet, Betty lost five inches from around her waist. To this day, my mother, who is now in her 90s, claims the diet cured her arthritis and prevented her from getting cancer. I remember my mother always talking about Mrs Snook. It was, Mrs Snook says this and Mrs Snook says that. It was as if Mrs Snook had taken an invisible seat at our table. My father, George, quickly tired of this and soon banned even mention of Mrs Snook's name in our home. He was a man from another era of Australian history, a bushy who loved the outback and the harsh wilderness of the Pilbara and Kimberley regions of Western Australia, who had moved his family to the Wheatbelt and Midwest regions of the state, chasing work as a mechanic. For financial reasons, my father had temporarily, and unhappily, relocated to the big smoke of Perth in 1979. Dad's idea of good tucker was eating what he said Australia's rural indigenous population ate, which was, according to him, lots of red meat, preferably freshly slaughtered, cooked over an open fire, served with damper bread and washed down with a cup of billy tea. Potato was his favourite vegetable. My father expected meat to be served for every meal, except breakfast, when he made do with fried eggs and toast. He would have liked to have bacon as well, but my mother had many years before converted to a fundamentalist Christian religion, which followed many Jewish traditions, including the avoidance of shellfish and flesh from cloven-hooved animals such as pigs, and she flatly refused to cook bacon or pork for her family. My parents were born in the 1920s, in the shadow of the Great Depression. As children, they ate sheep and cattle offal, brains, kidneys, ox tongue and tripe, and as adults they still retain the taste for these foods. I could not eat brains and never much like kidneys, but did not mind ox tongue. I quite like tripe, which is the lining of the sheep or cow's stomach, so long as it was covered in white sauce and ketchup, or tomato sauce as we called it. I grew up in Northampton, a small town in the Midwest region of Western Australia, where we often had access to fresh fish and meat, and my parents grew their own vegetables. We ate lamb, mutton, beef, chicken, steak, mince, 
sausages and polony. Vegetables such as carrot, cabbage and silver beet were generally served boiled to the point of disintegration. Salads consisted of a few leaves of iceberg lettuce with some tomato and onion. To this might be added a few cubes of my favourite craft bluey cheese, a cheese wrapped in foil and so highly processed that it was stored unrefrigerated on shelves in the grocery store. We always ate a dessert with the evening meal, usually jam or sponge pudding, apple crumble, tinned two fruits with custard, lemon meringue pie, sago, tapioca or white rice boiled in milk and sugar and served with sultanas. In summer, we ate a lot of wild-caught fresh fish, tailor, whiting, snapper and brim. We grew lemon, orange, mandarin, grapefruit and kumquat trees in our backyard and had our own chickens. I remember helping my brothers catch the chickens when it was time for one of them to become a family meal and sitting with my mother plucking feathers from the bird's still warm body. I absolutely loved fresh cow's milk, but my family only drank powdered milk, which I loathed. When we moved to the nearby larger town of Geraldton at age 13 and then to the city as a teenager, I took to drinking dairy milk with a gusto. After I moved to Perth, my mother introduced some exotic new additions into the family meal repertoire. These included chop suey, which was made with beef mince, cabbage and French onion soup mix. There was also curry, which was made from fried beef mince and Keens curry powder, apples and sultanas and perhaps a chopped banana added and served with boiled white rice. One of my favourites from Mum's fancy new meal repertoire was apricot chicken, which also featured French onion soup powder, but this time the soup powder was mixed with a can of apricot nectar and cooked with chicken pieces. Mrs Snook's raw food diet was a world away from the food my family ate. When my mother was on Mrs Snook's diet, I remember how she would boil up a saucepan full of silver beet and tomatoes. It seemed so bizarre to me back then that she would drink vegetable water as tea and put the cooked vegetables, as per Mrs Snook's instructions, on the compost heap. But perhaps the strongest memory I have of that time is of a potion Mrs Snook prescribed for my mother to dab on the large moles that dotted her back. According to Mrs Snook, a baby is born without moles and these blemishes are the result of a build-up of toxins in the body. She recommended my mother apply a tincture of iodine solution to be dabbed on the moles each morning, followed by castor oil in the evening. As my mother complained of arthritis at the time and had difficulty reaching behind her back, my younger sister and I were enlisted to help with this twice-daily activity. Both my sister and I remembered how these moles lightened in colour and shrunk in mass during the time Mum was on the diet. If I had not seen it with my own eyes, I would not have believed it. Once Mum had finished on Mrs Snook's diet, she returned to her regular diet, although adding twice the amount of vegetables that she normally ate to her meals, and Mrs Snook departed from our lives. The next time I remember hearing of Mrs Snook was ten years later, in 1990, when I was working as media coordinator at Perth's Curtin University. One day in May, Mrs Snook suddenly became front-page news. She was accused of illegally claiming to cure cancer with her raw food diets 
and being responsible for the death of her 91-year-old brother Stanley Greenham, who had died six months earlier at her farm in Northam, a small town near Perth. Mr Greenham's death had been referred to the coroner's office. The West Australian branch of the Australian Medical Association, the AMA, the Doctors' Advocacy Group, called for an inquiry into Mrs Snook's Radiant Health Centre. I was shocked by this news and felt concerned that my mother had once been taken in by Mrs Snook. Despite this, as a journalist, I was impressed by the amount of media coverage Mrs Snook's story had managed to gain in this pre-digital era. Television journalists did live crosses from the Northern Courthouse during the coronial inquest and the story received national coverage on news and current affairs programs. Despite working in agriculture, food and nutrition research communications for several decades, I had never really connected diet with health at a personal level. I might write a sentence like, good health begins with good nutrition, but I never really gave it too much thought and just assumed my diet was reasonably healthy. For me, food was about eating what tasted good or whatever food the newspapers, magazines or TV chefs said were good. The words of Plato from The Republic might well have applied to me when he wrote that many of his fellow citizens were, quote, inexperienced in wisdom and virtue, ever occupied with feasting and carried downward, and there, as is fitting, they wander their whole life long, never looking upward to the truth, but like cattle, always looking downward with their heads bent toward the ground and the banquet tables where they feed, fatten and fornicate, unquote. Fortunately, I had so far been blessed with good luck and good genetics, and I probably had also been given a reasonably good start in life with plenty of fresh, unprocessed food, apart from the beef mints and polony. But at age 50, the chickens were coming home to roost. The doctors took x-rays of my knee and told me I did not have arthritis but offered no further advice. My doctor warned me of dangerously high cholesterol levels and urged me to lose weight. Otherwise, she warned me, I would be on drugs for the rest of my life. My biomarkers were also indicating the beginnings of fatty liver disease. So apart from vanity reasons, there were also some pressing health issues that propelled me towards Mrs Snook's diet. In some ways, I'm still surprised I ever tried it, for Mrs Snook's raw food gut cleanse diet is brutal. It's a form of dietary boot camp. And chart one which must be followed for two weeks straight, is definitely the toughest of these charts. It is designed as a raw food enema to flush out your colon. On chart one, you begin your food day with a celery and carrot juice at 7am. Breakfast at 8am is raw fruit of any kind, although only the one type of fruit is permitted at any meal. Mrs Snook was very strict about this. The same menu is to be followed for two weeks. No tea, no coffee, no alcohol is allowed. Surely, I thought to myself, if I stuck to this diet for even two or three days, I would have to lose weight. I decided to give Mrs Snook's diet a try. I suppose the knowledge that my mother had once done well on the diet probably helped me make that decision. I kept to it for ten days, which was as long as I lasted the first time round. Day one started full of promise. The carrot and celery juice I drank at 7am did not taste so bad. I ate apples for breakfast and then blocked my nose at 11am in order to down the cabbage, tomato and carrot juice. 
By 2pm after eating a bunch of bananas for lunch, I had a dull headache from caffeine withdrawal and felt pretty miserable. I would normally have had two or three or four full cream cappuccinos by this time and my willpower wavered. I made a cup of tea, not coffee, as a compromise and added a splash of milk. Almost immediately that I drank the tea, I felt like throwing up and in fact did so. I spent the afternoon vomiting. I could not hold down any fluid, even water. I was unable to eat any of the afternoon's dietary offerings and retired to bed early. It looked like the end of the line for Mrs Snook's diet. But on day two, I woke up feeling better. I knew I would suffer from caffeine withdrawal and thought long and hard about having a normal breakfast. But I surprised myself by stuffing carrots and celery into the juicer and sticking to the diet the entire day. By day four, I had lost nearly 4.5 kilograms, which is around 10 pounds. I could not believe it was possible to lose weight so quickly, but that was what my scales were showing me. While I knew it was largely fluid loss from my body, I could also see the weight loss in my face shape, body and clothes. So far, hunger had not really been too much of an issue, and I felt invigorated and energised. On day eight, I woke up hungry and rushed to weigh myself. I had lost seven kilos, or 15 pounds. The most surprising thing to me was how energetic and vibrant I felt, so much so that I wondered about the chemical properties of Mrs Snook's diet. Had I stumbled across some sort of vintage dietary marvel? Mrs Snook's diet was my moment of awakening, my aha moment when it dawned on me that what I ate was intimately connected to my well-being. I had no idea such a diet could make you feel so good, lighter, brighter, with more energy and mental clarity. This initial experience on the diet was the genesis for me to write Mrs Snook's story. It was my hypothesis that much of what Mrs Snook advocated about eating unprocessed whole foods and a largely meat and dairy-free diet was now supported by science. And knowing the strength of Mrs Snook's personality and her forceful advocacy of a whole food, plant-based way of eating, I speculated that many of her problems may have stemmed from being an outspoken woman who went up against the conventional wisdom of the day. To give you some idea of her debating style, here is an excerpt from her 1965 book Was Man Intended by Nature to be a Herbivorous Animal or a Carnivorous Animal? If the eating of animal flesh was considered unclean and undesirable in the days of Pythagoras, how much worse must the habit be today? Cattle, sheep, hogs, fowls or anything else into which man can get his knife, such as horse, dogs, kangaroo and what have you as finds its way into sausages, are animals universally recognised as being sicker and weaker than their counterparts of two millennia ago? With today's chemical infusion of disease-ridden bodies, how much more important is it to recognise the need to keep the human body free from such intestinal pollution as these animal bodies, artificially fed and fattened, grotesquely murdered, thoughtlessly cremated in the kitchen oven? Dale Highway who we heard from at the beginning of this episode, recalls Mrs Snook was a... Very strong lady, very um, sort of matter of fact. You know, like very straight to the point. And, um, and you know, it was sort of like, well, this is your diet. And, and if you, you 
you either want to survive or you don't want to survive. We're sort of saying, what was my diet? Like she did ask a lot of questions. I remember her saying, if you put fish, chicken, and I think it was meat on a table and you left it for three days and you went away and you come back, you know, which one would you eat? I was sort of like wondering why she was asking those questions, but that was how she sort of was saying about the diet and fresh fruit and veggies. I swear by the diet, and I've said to many, many people over the years, and I do believe very much so, that it was that diet that, that made me okay, that fixed me, because, it, you know, nothing ever came back. I never had any, any other problems uh, with melanoma or anything along that line, or my tests always were good. And I really, really believe 100% that it was the diet. The phrase plant-based diet was originally associated with a vegan diet, but is now also used by those who eat a majority of plant-based foods but may still eat some animal products. The term veganism was only coined in 1944, the year Mrs Snook converted to a plant-based diet, to differentiate a diet devoid of animal products from vegetarian diets that do not include meat but may include dairy products and eggs. Veganism was a style of eating Mrs Snook strongly advocated and her daughter Isabel once told me that what mum really was was a vegan. However, processed foods can and often are included in a vegan diet and for Mrs Snook, such foods were strictly off the menu. Despite her fearsome reputation as a vegan, Mrs Snook did not attribute a label to her way of eating, although the alkaline diet probably came the closest. Mrs Snook's gut cleanse diet, or cancer diet, is based on the original alkaline diet, first developed a century ago in the United States, a diet she learned firsthand from her healer and mentor, Dr Alice Caporn. The alkaline diet is widely considered a healthy, if extreme, diet, in the sense that veganism is extreme because many people find it difficult to stick to. It is based on the scientifically contested concept that eating alkaline-forming foods such as leafy greens and reducing acid-forming foods such as dairy and red meat helps to make the body more alkaline. The theory goes that cancer cannot survive in an alkaline environment and thrives in an acid environment. Thus, by reducing the levels of acid-forming foods you eat, the more you reduce the risk of cancer. While the alkaline diet is dismissed by science, the diet has many passionate supporters and has long been associated with health improvements in cancer patients. However, personal testimonials are considered anecdotal and not considered as proof of anything. It is perhaps the devotion of people to the alkaline diet that infuriates the diet's critics almost as much as anything else. And Mrs Snook was one such devotee. She believed around 70% of a person's diet should be alkaline foods, and the leafier, greener and rawer the better. And consumption of acidic-forming foods, which include grains, alcohol and animal proteins, should be less than 30% of the diet. She claimed to have eaten a largely raw food, meat and dairy-free alkaline diet for 20 years while healing herself from a diagnosis of liver cancer which we will learn more about in the next episode. However, in her later years, Mrs Snook did eat some white meat, but never red meat. The following is from Mrs Snook's 1965 book, written when she was 51 years old, which gives further insight not only into the type of food she ate, but also into her personality. 
Last year I was at the Royal Show, Mrs Snook wrote. I sat under a tree watching the ring events. There were three ladies from the country sitting near me. As it was lunchtime, one lady suggested to the others that she get something for their lunches, which she did. She returned with three thickly iced cakes, each made with white flour, white sugar and the white of eggs, plus a carton of tea each. After they finished their meal, I remarked, You ladies are all going to have a headache. They replied, We always do. It is the travelling in the dust, you know. I said, Madam, it is the food you have just eaten. It is 100% acid forming, and you will now have too much acid in your system, causing a headache. In fact, all aches and pains are caused through too much acid in the system. They were interested. I opened my lunch and showed it to them. Raw salad, vegetables, fruit, banana, whole bread and some chicken. All the salads and fruit you see are alkaline. The bread and the chicken are acid forming. Here you see I have a correctly balanced meal. More alkaline foods than acid. It is impossible to have pains and ache if you correctly balance your meals. They sincerely thanked me, for each was a sufferer of headaches. In parting, I said, Now remember, your three meals a day must all be correctly balanced in the same manner if you want to get good results. We each have an intimate relationship with food and to tell people the health benefits of eating a certain way is to imply criticism of their current diet. The greatest insult hurled at man, Mrs Snook wrote in 1965, is a jibe which smacks at his diet. There are very few people who will not instinctively defend their eating habits. Tell a man he is living unhygienically and you could receive a black eye. In 2014, when I gave a talk to journalism students at Curtin University in Perth, I met Susanna, a food scientist undertaking a postgraduate writing course who kindly offered to give me a scientific analysis of Mrs Snook's gut cleanse diet. I soon came to realise Susanna did not value Mrs Snook's diet the way that I did. Yes, I might have lost weight, Susanna informed me, but this was due to restricted energy intake. Chart 1 apparently provides less than a third of the kilojoules an adult woman needs daily, and my skin condition might have improved, but this was due to better hydration. And if I found headaches had reduced, this was due to restriction of caffeine and alcohol. However, Susanna informed me, there is no medical evidence that a severe diet regime, such as Mrs Snook's, was necessary to achieve these health benefits. No nutritionist, she added, would recommend a detox diet for more than three or four days. As for juices, Susanna advised a fluid-based detox diet could take the pressure off the body's digestive, lymphatic and renal systems, giving them the chance to reset to equilibrium. But fruit juice posed a risk of tooth decay. She was less critical about charts three and four of Mrs Snook's gut cleanse diet commenting that chart three actually looked like the kind of detox diet that would meet modern nutritional standards, but only for a few days and not the two weeks Mrs Snook recommended. And she thought chart four looked pretty reasonable. Her major concern overall was the lack of dairy products or their alternatives such as soya or rice and nut milks, which she said provide essential vitamins and calcium for bone health. I was disappointed but not deterred. I believed in Mrs Snook's diet, and still do. And perhaps it was confirmation bias. 
but I found a lot of scientific support for the health benefits of vegetarian and vegan diets. Walter Willett, the chair of Harvard University's nutrition department, recommends that plant sources of protein be emphasised over animal sources, and results from the long-running Harvard Nurses' Health Study indicates that eating more protein from beans, nuts and seeds while cutting back on refined carbohydrates like white flour reduces the risk of heart disease. In 2015, the World Health Organization received much publicity when its cancer agency, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, classified processed meats such as ham, bacon, salami, sausage and poloni, all foods that Mrs Snook particularly railed against, as causing cancer. The agency also stated that red meat was likely to cause some cancers if eaten over a long period of time and in significant quantities. These findings were based on 22 experts from 10 countries reviewing over 800 studies to reach their conclusions. While many of Mrs Snook's dietary beliefs now appear to be remarkably modern, she was a creature of her era and her environment. Mrs Snook rose to prominence as a naturopath in the 1960s in an era when only a handful of outlets were selling organic produce in Perth. Multicultural cuisines were not available to Mrs Snook, She was raised on a diet based on Australia's chief agricultural products, refined wheat flour and red meat, foods that had a long shelf life. But the American-trained naturopath, Dr Alice Caporn, changed all that for Mrs Snook. The vintage diets Mrs Snook learnt from Alice Caporn have a connection to the German-born founder of naturopathy, Benedict Lust, and his equally illustrious colleague and friend, Dr Frederick W Collins, who became one of Alice Caporn's teachers. The first few decades at the beginning of the 20th century when Alice Caporn lived and studied in Boston and New York were a fascinating period in the history of nutrition and the nature cure movement, which is today better known as naturopathy. Although I came to the nature cure as a novice, who only had tried Mrs Snook's gut cleanse diet for 10 days, it was the catalyst for changing my way of eating and how I thought about health. This is not to say that I take everything she says as gospel, But it did strike me that so much of what Mrs Snook advocated now passes as mainstream. And while I knew that she had been disgraced somehow, I decided no matter what she may have done wrong, she had also done a lot right. Her diet worked for me, and it had worked for my mother and for my friend Teresa, who tried Mrs Snook's diet in 2014. Teresa lost over 12 kilos or 26 pounds and nearly halved her cholesterol levels. As no meat was allowed on the diet, Teresa was surprised to find her iron levels were high after three months on Mrs Snook's diet. Her vitamin D levels were also high and her doctor asked if she'd been taking supplements, which she had not. But more than this, Teresa looked amazing. Her skin glowed. She reported sleeping better, having more energy, no longer having dull aches and pains in her joint and better posture. So who was Dorothy Snook? And how did she come by this diet that still has its devotees even today? Next week on Raw, we will go back to 1944, when young Perth mother Dorothy Snook is carried into Alice Caporn's naturopathic retreat at One the Avenue, Nedlands. When she leaves three months later, her life will be forever changed. I hope you will join me then. If you have enjoyed Mrs Snook's story so far, please don't forget to subscribe. 
And if you could take a moment to leave a review on iTunes, I would appreciate it. If you would like to learn more, visit my website, gretapools.com, for my biography of Mrs. Snook, which includes a gut cleanse diet, plus Mrs. Snook's own writings. The links are on the episode's webpage. Mm-hmm.